The following message has been rated PG-13 and may not be suitable for all audiences. Please use discretion. So imaginary lover. Damon Brown is a contributing writer to Playboy. Damon Brown wrote a book a few years back that he titled Playboy's Greatest Covers. Now the interesting thing about this is this book can be purchased in Barnes and Nobles, which is scary and very sad to me. But Damon Brown made this observation. He said, it seems so obvious If we invent a machine, the first thing we're going to do after making a profit off that machine is use it to watch porn. I want you to pause and contemplate that thought. Go back to television. Go back to VCRs, the old school. Go back to pretty much every piece of technology that's hit the market. We'll get to smartphones. We'll get to tablets, computers here as we unpackage it. But I read that and I thought, it's so sad. It's so sad that that is the culture in which we live. Now, I want to share with you some stats that I find to be very staggering. And I think you'll find them to be very staggering as well. I did my research. And so some of the websites that I'll reference, again, if you want a complete copy of my notes, they will be on our website tomorrow. So everything I'm sharing here with you is available to you uh, online. But CovenantEyes.com, ProvenMen.org, Walking in Freedom, uh, Focus on the Family. These were places I went to kind of do research to look and say, what, what is being said about this topic and about this issue? Covenant Eyes made this observation. They said by 2017, a quarter of a billion people will be viewing mobile adult content from their phones or tablets, which will be an increase of 30% from 2013. I said a quarter of a billion people, whether it be smartphones or tablets, will be viewing adult content, porn-related graphics and material by the end of 2017. Covenant Eyes said one out of every five mobile search is for pornography. They went on to say that one out of every eight online search is pornography related. 24% of the people that they interviewed admitted to having pornographic images on their mobile devices today. The porn industry grew. 
The porn industry generates $13 billion a year annually. $3 billion is just on internet porn. The more you study this area uh, of research, you'll realize there's so many free porn sites out there now that the number is almost misleading. It's really more. So we know... We know that pornography is prevalent in our society. No matter where you go, no matter billboards, no matter commercials, no matter movies, uh, listen to some of the top pop songs today, you'll hear all of this sexual uh, undertone and messages be, uh, being shared. Approximately 66% of U.S. men view pornography monthly. The sad thing is, based on Covenant Eyes and Focus on the Family, is that the percentage in the church mirrors the national average. Did you get that? The percentage in the church mirrors the national average. Approximately 66%. That's a staggering number. Now, reality is this. Porn use thrives in secrecy. Porn use thrives in secrecy. And there's so many conversations that we've had in the five plus years here at the cross, as well as in the 25 plus years in full-time Christian ministry, that so many people that we converse with are feeling as if they're in this cycle of sin and shame and guilt and condemnation, and many are struggling to believe that there's any hope for them in their journey. Guilt, shame, filth being just totally knocked down. 64% of Christian men and 15% of Christian women say they watch porn at least once a month. Focus on the Family estimates that one out of every five pastors struggles with pornography. 75% of pastors do not make themselves accountable to anyone for their own line searches. My wife has permission, as I've said to you, she gets my phone, she gets my tablet, anything that I have, she can look at it 24-7. There's nothing out of bounds. If there's a conversation that I'm having uh, with a certain individual specifically, I'll say, that friend of mine, that guy has asked that we keep that conversation confidential. I would appreciate you're not going to look at that one, but anything else she can look at. But is that not staggering that 75% of guys in full-time ministry do not make themselves accountable. The United States Department of Justice said this. United States Department of Justice said, never before in the history of telecommunications media in the U.S. has so much indecent and obscene material been so easily accessible by so many minors in so many homes with so few restrictions. That comes from the United States Department of Justice. Do you know that nine out of 10 boys are exposed to porn before the age of 18? The first exposure to porn on a national average for young boys is the age of 12. 71% of teenagers hide all of their online behavior from their parents. There are approximately 130 new porn sites being created every day. 86% of convicted rapists admit to regular porn use. 
Pornography is very, very addictive to the one who consumes it. And research shows that pornographic images create some type of chemically almost encoding on the brain that can take forever and ever to get rid of. One of my former ministry associates was over in South Africa about 10 years ago, and he came back from this trip, and he looked at me and he said, great trip, but I had one of the most unique, interesting conversations I've ever had in my life. He said, I talked with a young man. Uh, he was about 40, 45 years old. He said he had been saved for six months. And he said, this guy with tears streaming down his face said, I so desperately desire to be free in Christ. But my thought life and the images on my mind, he said, I can't get rid of them. And he looked at my friend Mickey and said, for the previous 20 years, I've been a photographer for Playboy and Penthouse, etc." He said, how do I get rid of these images? It's no shortcuts. And I've come to realize that the person who is in bondage to and addicted to this is never satisfied with where they're at. The desire and the enticement and the lures from Satan to do more and more and more is always going to be a temptation if you're in bondage. Jim Logan in his book, Reclaiming Surrendered Ground, shares the story of a young man that came to him and said, Jim, I need help bad. My perversions have become perverted. He goes, what do you mean? He said, when I first started, I had this line that I would draw and say, I will not go past that line. I've drawn so many lines and erased so many lines that my perversions are so perverted, I don't know if I can ever break free. And do you realize so many people that sit in church week after week, and one of the things that keeps so many guys and even gals locked up in shame is this guilt, is this filth of the soul because of what they've been hiding, and God wants to set the captive free. Now, let me share with you a heavy from C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis is a brilliant mind in evangelical circles. We would agree that screw tape letters, mere Christianity, and many of those great uh, things that Lewis has written has had incredible impact. Lewis also wrote tons of letters. People would write to Lewis, and he would write them back. And one of the guys wrote about this whole topic of lust and pornonia immorality kind of issues and masturbation. Listen to what C.S. Lewis said. He said, for me... The real evil of masturbation would be that it takes an appetite which in lawful use leads the individual out of himself to complete his own personality and that of another, finally in children and even in grandchildren, and it turns it back on himself. It sends the man back into the prison of himself where there he keeps a harem of imaginary brides. This harem of imaginary brides, once admitted, it works against his ever getting out and really uniting with a real woman. For the harem is always accessible, always subservient, calls for no sacrifice, uh, sacrifices or adjustments, can be endowed with erotic and psychological attractions, which no woman will ever rival. 
Among these shadowy brides, he is always adored, always the perfect lover. No demand is made on his unselfishness. No mortification is ever imposed on his vanity. And in the end, they become merely the medium through which he increasingly adores himself. He adores himself. So this addiction can so fuel a narcissistic style pattern of reasoning that keeps us locked up for days and weeks and years. You see, every person in this room starves for intimacy, not selfish gratification. Deep down inside of our hearts, each and every one of us, we're longing for intimacy with God. We're longing to be known by God. We're longing to be filled by God. G.K. Chesterton, the great British journalist, when he wrote, every man who knocks on the door of a brothel is looking for God. I read that. Chesterton, what are you saying every man that knocks on the door of a brothel is looking for God? Yet the conclusion is, what's behind that door? Maybe it has the potential to satisfy my deepest yearnings and longings of love, acceptance, and worth and significance, and maybe that can complete me. It's bondage. And so many are living in the ruins, and so many marriages are falling apart because of this polluted addiction. John Bevere wrote a book called Good or God, and he said, when we drift from truth, God's will is replaced by the influence of people around us and by the voices of society. We then embrace what seems good according to our, our own swayed evaluation. It doesn't matter how good something looks, how happy it makes you, how much fun it is, how rich or successful you will become, how popular or even accepted it is. If something is contrary to the will and wisdom of God, it will ultimately be detrimental and bring great sorrow to your life. So sexual temptation is real in our society. And it's real and it's been real in a fallen world for 6,000 years. But I, I want you to hear something. I want you to hear something. Three things. One, if you're struggling with that area today, you're not alone. You're, you're, you're not alone. You're not alone. The enemy is coming at many. The, many ha uh, the enemy has sabotaged many. The enemy has kept many in ruins. And you don't have to stay there, but you're not alone. Two, there is hope. You do not have to continue to live a defeated life. You don't have to live in guilt and shame. I will personalize this in a few moments. But you don't have to live in defeat. There's hope. Three, help is found when you quit hiding. Help is found when you quit hiding. I'd been saved in October of 1985. In 1987, I'm at a PAO conference, Professional Athletes Outreach. All these professional baseball players, major league and minor league players, we were assembled in San Diego, California. And I was so pumped. I'm like, man, this is going to be so great. Josh McDowell and John Trent and Gary Smalley and all these great speakers are going to be there. And 
there were some of us single guys, and we were in a small group together, and it's like, man, let's fast, and let's pray for 24 hours, man. Let's just really seek God. And so we did. And so we started fasting on a Thursday evening. It's like, well, hey, let's just push it all the way through until Saturday morning. Let's make it 36 hours. And that Friday night, all of us, these single guys, we got together and we were praying and we were really just crying out to God and we we're confessing sin and we were confessing our bondages. And I'll never forget, I confessed that night. I'm so in ruins and I'm so chained up. I want to honor God. I want to I be the man God wants me to be. But I struggle with lust and I struggle with this realm of masturbation. God, I, I want to get clean and there was silence in the room for about 30 seconds. And all of a sudden, guy after guy after guy after guy, and every one of my friends started weeping and said, that's where I'm at. Is there hope? And I'm like, there's got to be hope. I'm two years in the faith. I don't know how to overcome this bondage. But there's got to be hope. In December of 89, I drive back. I'm living in Indiana. I drive back home for Christmas. I'm not married at the time. And my dad and my uncle, we were sitting there in the living room having this conversation. And I remember my uncle looked at me and said, first year at Bible college, what are you learning? I mean, I'm taking eschatology and apologetics and Old Testament, New Testament survey. And what, what, am, what am I learning I'm learning that I do not have to be in bondage to sexual, immoral lust. And I started breaking it down in detail. And I looked at my uncle and I looked at my dad and their heads dropped. And about a minute later, my dad goes, son, I'm 47 years old. And I've never in my life talked about this with another man. And my uncle, wiping tears, said, I've never in my life talked about this openly with anybody else. And then my dad said, I shared with a pastor about three years ago. I struggle with this lust. I struggle with my thought life. And the pastor patted me on the back and said, Earl, all guys struggle with that. But dad, that, that was not satisfactory to your soul. You, you wanted to know that there was hope. You, you didn't want to walk out of there thinking that every guy has to stay chained up in this area until he dies. And I said, no, there's hope, Daddy. You don't have to stay there. You don't have to stay in the ruins of it. My partner, Tom Roy, who was the executive director for Unlimited Potential. Now Tom is president and oversees the ministry that I was with for 20 years. We're driving. We've got about a two and a half hour drive one night. And we're driving. And this is where even more soul talk and more authenticity. I said, Tom, I struggle so much in this area. I mean, I know God wants to use me. I'm going out sharing my testimony. I'm teaching. But I feel so guilty at times, and I feel so dirty at times. I feel like I'm a fraud, a hypocrite. I feel like I'm deceitful. I struggle in this area with lust, with thoughts, with masturbation. Tom, I struggle with it. He goes, what are you thinking about 
when you are lusting and whatever. I said, what do you think I'm thinking about? He said, can you think of peanut butter and jelly? I said, Tom, there's no erotic sensation that schmuckers in Peter Pan creates. <laughs> and then Tom looked at me and said, you've got the Holy Spirit living inside of you. Do you believe through the power of the Holy Spirit that God will give you the ability to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ? Yeah. So, so really, it's a thought issue that leads to an action and behavior issue. It's really not the behavior you're struggling with. You're not owning your thinking, are you? So at the core of your belief system, you've bought into believing that this thorn in your flesh is your thorn in your flesh, and you're going to have to live with this thorn. It's not a thorn. It's a core belief that you've got that your thinking is, that's just the way you are. It's not the way you are. It's the way you've been. It's the, it's the way you've been, but it's not the way you've got to be. We got back home that night, and I got on my face, and I was like, all right, Lord, after being introduced to porn, I went back to the original introduction. And I'm like, Lord, this is that a stronghold. It's messed with my mind. It's messed with my thoughts. It's messed with my core belief. And I got on my face and I said, Lord, I choose now in the name of Jesus to believe that you're enough. I choose to believe that through the power of the Holy Spirit, I can take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. I choose to believe that I can think about pure and right and holy and lovely and excellent and praiseworthy things. And I choose not to be conformed to this world any, any longer, but I choose to be transformed by the renewing of my mind. I choose to believe that you're enough. And I'll never forget, I, don't, I didn't get any coaching on this, but it was like the Holy Spirit said, you've got to redeem those places of bondage. I'm like, okay. So remember... I'm like, man, I'm sweaty. We've been out all day. And as soon as I walk in the bathroom, I'm like, the shower, the door shut. This has been a hidden world, a place of fantasy and darkness, a place of bondage. And I'm like, Lord, I redeem this place right now in Jesus' name. And I took my Walkman and I turned my Walkman on and I had Terry Clark and Maranatha worship playing. And I said, Lord, that shower has been a place of fantasy, but today I declared that that will be a place of worship. And as I turned the water on, I said, the water coming out of the shower head will represent the blood of Jesus that cleanses me from all sin. So I remember standing there, arms wide open, Lord, you came to set the captive free. Lord, the blood of Christ cleanses me. Purify me and make me the person you want me to be. I take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And can I tell you something? That became a place of worship. Other places where the enemy had taken ground and I had given it to him. I went back and started reclaiming surrendered ground. And I shared that shower story with our men in a rise about two months ago. That night I had a guy right at 60 come up to me with tears in his eyes and say, I needed that shower story. I got a text the next morning from another guy saying, 
Thank you. I want you to know that I broke out the 409 first thing this morning, sprayed the shower down, and declared that it would be a place of worship. So here's what I want you to know. Hope is available. But help is found when you quit hiding. Was it hard to talk about some of these things early on with my daddy, with these other guys? Did I feel like the freak of the week? That I feel like I would be shamed and guilted? Can I tell you something? I'm sick and tired of seeing the enemy have strongholds on my people here at the cross. And so if it requires risking transparency in a brutal way with you, for the glory of God, I'll do it. I'll do it. I want to see you free. God has a standard, 1 Corinthians 6. Do you not know that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, effeminate, homosexuals, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, swindlers shall not inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. Yes, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. The body is not for immorality, but it's for the Lord, and the Lord is for the body. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take away the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? May it never be. Do you not know that the one who joins himself to a prostitute is one body with her? For he says, the two shall become one flesh. But the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body. But the immoral man sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you're not your own? You've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God with your body. Now, last Monday, I was working on this text and just kind of thinking through it, Memorial Day. And my son Benji and his friend Corey Johnson, my friend Corey, we were just sitting in the living room. I said, can I share a couple thoughts with you? And I read through some of those porn stats. And I started reading 1 Corinthians 6. And I got right here to verse 17. And as I was reading, my 21-year-old boy was quoting it word for word. And I stopped. And he kept quoting it and quoting until we got to the end of the chapter. I said, you know that. Yeah, I know it. I read it every night, Dad. Every night. I read it every night. Because I need it. And I know it. I'm like, how amazing. Lord, keep that dude free. Keep him free. You have been bought with a price. You're one with the Lord. Glorify God with your body. The word immorality is the word pornea. It's the word pornea. 
And it actually is defined as to commit fornication or any other sexual sin. Pornia. Flee immorality. Flee pornia. Flee it. Immorality is sex before marriage with anyone. It's immoral. People say, well, I committed adultery. No, it was immoral. It was sin. It was in violation to the holiness of God. That's where I got. And I mean, this passage became so valuable and meaningful to me. In my 20s, when I got saved, I'm like, I need help. Listen, listen, listen. We call it PG-13 today, but can I tell you something? You give your kid a Bible and ask them to read the Word of God, you're going to have to have conversations when they get to 1 Corinthians 6, 1 Corinthians 7, the Song of Solomon, 1 Thessalonians 4, all these other passages. You're going to be forced to have a conversation. The Bible is PG-13. It's grow up. And I was pondering that going, God is saying, listen, listen, listen to the standard. Hollywood's trying to give you a standard. It's not working. Listen, so pornea, immorality is sex with anyone but your wife. Physically, emotionally, fantasy. It's not just an affair. Immorality is seeking or desiring or desiring anything for sexual arousal, websites, sexting, apps, feeds. Some of us would be so brilliant to get rid of Facebook, to get rid of Instagram, Snapchat, Twitter. If those areas are areas that you continue to look at that's leading you to the next place, get rid of it. Download Covenant Eyes. Download that software where four or five people, accountability partners, spouse, whatever, get every website you get on. Go to Triple X Church. They've got some incredible things there. Immorality is having lustful sexual thoughts of fantasy. Jesus dropped the hammer in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery in his heart. I've memorized this verse like right shortly after I got saved. People talking about memorized John 3.16. I was memorizing stuff like this because I'm like, that's strong. Immorality is looking on nakedness for pleasure. This is a beautiful time of the year to talk about this because all of a sudden the beaches are blowing wide open in pools and, I mean, the skimpy dress stuff that we see today, and it doesn't take a whole lot for a guy to have a fantasy anyway. But Job 31.1, Job said, I made a covenant with my eyes to never undress a girl. I'm like, that's a very powerful passage. So the Bible teaches that those who battle or even in bondage to sexual sin can experience freedom in Christ. Now, it's a process. Restoration and healing is a process. But you've got to be willing to fight that fight. 
but you can be free. From my own personal experience, I declare that freedom is possible. From my own bondage, from my own ruins, I know that since 89 and 90, right around that time, God says, own your thoughts. I'm telling you right now, I'm walking in freedom. Are you victorious in that area? No, I'm not victorious in that area. Jesus is victorious in that area. I'm capable of falling. But I'm telling you, Nick, when we start to get there, we go, there's hope. Now, if you're sitting here right now and you're in bondage and you know it's an addictive behavior and there's no authentic remorse and there's no authentic repentance, I would highly, highly encourage you to check yourself to see if you know the Jesus of the Bible. Because when the Jesus of the Bible comes in and takes over our heart, God hates sin. And so God that now has permission to reign and rule in my life hates sin. And if God in me hates sin and yet I'm not hating sin, then I have to ask, is he really on the throne of my life? Do I know him? I'm talking about, did you walk an aisle years ago and pray a prayer? I'm talking about being set free. So you need to reevaluate. Now, one of my favorite pieces of this is 1 Corinthians 6. Such were some of you. Such were some of you, fornicators, adulterers, this whole list. But you've been washed, meaning you've experienced God's salvation. And then he goes on to say, you were sanctified. God watched you and cleaned you up and set you apart to use for his glory. You've been sanctified. And God desires to sanctify us day after day after day, setting us apart. And he goes, hey, 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 you were justified. You've been declared righteous. Your God washed you. Your God gave you salvation. Your God has sanctified you. He set you apart. He's justified you. He's declared that you're righteous once and for all. And I'm telling you, when I said and wrote this years ago, mirror, mirror on the wall. Why do you reveal my fall? So many people still see themselves as sinners, filthy and dirty. And so you're staying in a place of defeat. Mirror, mirror on the wall, why do I yield when others call? And you're living dependent upon the applause and praise of everyone else. If you can ever really get to the place where you believe, mirror, mirror on the wall, Jesus' blood has paid it all. I am washed. I am sanctified. I am justified. I am clean. I am holy. And it changes you. Our God is a chain breaker, and he wants to set the captive free. Deliverance is possible. Now, God has given us provisions. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, he's got a standard. In 1 Corinthians 6 and 1 Corinthians 7, he goes, let me share with y'all my provision for you guys. Because of immorality, verse 2, let each man have his own wife and let each woman have her own husband. Let the husband fulfill his duty to his wife. Likewise, also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body. Again, no wonder they call it the good book, right? The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, 
Also, the husband does not have authority over his body, but the wife does. Stop depriving one another. Accept my agreement for a time that you may devote yourselves to prayer. And you can come together again, lest Satan tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now, 1 Corinthians is a beautiful, beautiful book here in, in, in chapter 6 and 7. If you want to read about a crazy church, read Corinth. Corinth was a messed up, jacked up church. I mean, they were going to the communion table and just getting sloshed, drinking, and just getting hammered. I mean, the immorality and the pornonia, sin stuff, and, and the church at Corinth was crazy. But God has laid out a provision for us. Don't miss this. The primary solution to sexual immorality is sex and marriage. That's what he says. Because of immorality, because of pornea sins, let each man have his own wife and let each woman have her own husband. This blew up the mindset of polygamy, even in Ephesus, Corinth, other places. So have your own wife, have your own husband. So, so here, here's the deal. The solution, the primary solution is sex and marriage. Marriage partners are commanded to fulfill their sexual duties. I understand I would have to stay a long time here talking about loving your wife. She's a crock pot. Men are bottle rockets. You know the whole thing. It takes a long time to warm them up. Guys, let's go. We're, I mean, you can read all this marriage stuff. Chad and Elaine's got a marriage class. They will educate you in the marriage class. But this is stuff we talk about, right? But this whole thing of fulfilling one another, I mean, you better make sure the relationship is really healthy and conversation and, 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 and you guys are on the same page, okay? You can't be ignoring everything around the house, dude. It's, it's, it's not going to work. The body of your spouse is under your authority for sexual satisfaction. That's what the scripture says. Now, when I do pre-marriage counseling, I'll have a couple sit there. And I do this with every couple that I'm going to marry. I talk about faith, finances, family. I talk about communication. And then we have talks about sex on whether there's been any abuse, misuse, whatever. And then I'll ask them, I want you to text me how many times a week you think you're going to be sexually intimate. And so if the dude writes 21 and she writes 2, I know we've got a problem. We're going to have to talk through it. I was doing some marriage counseling with a couple here in the last five years, I said, I want you to text me, and I want you to give me an answer. And they said, are you serious? And I said, I'm dead serious. And so the boy wrote, and I looked at his number, and I'm like, whatever. 10 to 14. I'm like, get a job. So uh, <laughs> the girl then wrote her answer. I was like, did you mean to text what you just texted? She goes, yeah. She wrote 14 to 21. I'm looking at the iPhone. The guy looked at me and he says, is my number too high? I said, listen, brother, you're going to be really tired. Now, after being married a few years, I'd like for him to text me that number again, because <laughs> I think we probably are somewhere close to being in reality right now. The request of sex is not to be denied for a period of time here unless there's both an agreement. 
Now, that, that, that's huge right there. It's not to be denied. And so there's communication and conversation on it, but he says, I've made provisions for you. Does it mean 14 to 21 times a week? Okay, I'm not going there. Depriving the other person can open the door for Satan to tempt. Depriving will never cause the person to do what they do, but it can cause the enemy to be able to come in and tempt and entice the person. And that's the reason when people say, well, the reason I did what I did was because of her. No, the reason you did what you did was because of you. Now, her withholding may have contributed to some of your frustration, but it didn't cause you to do what you did. Depriving the other person, it can open the door. And so I, I wrote this down. I'm like, do you feel guilty when you get hungry? I was like, nah. So why should you feel guilty about wanting to have sex with your spouse? But that's husband with wife and wife with husband. Good news. Good news, guys. You can have sex with your wife. Not with a computer screen. Not with a chick that's the receptionist at your work. Now, sexual standards were almost non-existent in the Roman Empire. And they're not much higher in our society even here today. So the temptation to engage in sexual intercourse outside the marriage relationship has always been powerful. For the sake of time, I'm going to wrap it with this. Read my notes on 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 3 through 8. I've got bullet points and all that stuff you can read. I want to jog through the text. Starting in verse 3, it is God's will that you should be sanctified. Anytime you see it is God's will, you need to highlight, underscore, circle to say, what is God's will? People oftentimes look at me and say, well, brother, I'm just praying for God's will. God's will is not lost. God's will is revealed in the word of God. It's not lost. God's will is that you should be sanctified in all areas. Then he goes on to say that you should avoid sexual immorality. So God's will is that I live sanctified, set apart unto Christ, and that I avoid sexual immorality. He goes on to say in verse 4, each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable. Who is responsible for controlling the body in a holy and honorable way? I am. Do you not realize that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? So when it comes to physical, mental, and sexual, and spiritual, and anything else, who's in control of you taking care of your body? You are. Who decides what you put in your body, eat or drink? You do. Who decides what you do with your body? I can. Now, if I'm in covenant, the two become one, we get it. But he says, flee, avoid that and learn to control your own body. Verse 5, not in passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God. If you're not controlling your mind, your thought life, and your body, he says, listen, you're not living like you're saved. You're living like you're lost. You're living like a heathen. That's what he says. That's what he says. Do not live in passionate lust like a heathen. I mean, this is a, a person is willfully rejecting the glory and standards of God. 
And then he goes on to say, and that in this manner, no one should wrong his brother or take advantage of him. He's writing to the believers in Thessalonica going, it's not fair for you to hook up with your buddy's wife. It's not cool for you to, to, to hook up with your neighbor's wife. That, that, that's not right. The Lord will punish men for all such sins. We've already told you this. Verse 7, God did not call us to be impure. God called us to live holy. Therefore, there, there, therefore, he who rejects this instruction does not reject man, but he rejects God who gives his Holy Spirit. And I've had people say that to me. Well, some of that stuff you're teaching, I just don't agree with. You're not rejecting me. You're rejecting God. When, when I refuse to marinate on 1 Corinthians 6, 1 Corinthians 7, 1 Thessalonians 4 and go, what does God say? I just don't agree with it. Then what you're saying is you don't agree with God. What you're saying is you are not willing to submit to God as your ultimate authority. You want to stay in control of your life. And when you do that, you're opening up the door and you're entering a slippery slope of mass chaos and confusion. And God don't want you there. Can I tell you, God's blueprint works. God's blueprint is superior. And when we submit to the blueprint of the Lord, it is amazing how God starts to work in our life. Giving in to sexual sin and sexual temptation is disastrous. Sexual sin always creates damage. It creates damage to the individual, your walk with God, your family. I've seen so many kids suffer the ruins of their parents' pornea, immoral lifestyle. And God's going, you don't have to stay there. Sexual experience should be limited to the marriage relationship. Why do you do that? Because I avoid hurting myself. I avoid hurting God. I avoid hurting Barb. I avoid hurting my kids. I avoid hurting you. Do I, do I realize that I'm as capable of messing up and sinning as anybody? I do. Am I up here sharing today as a person whose tassel is turned like he's got all the answers? I'm, I'm up here sharing with you today as a beggar who's found bread, just pointing other beggars to the bakery to say, Master Jesus wants to provide manna for you that's sufficient. You don't have to live in that bondage anymore. Sexual desires has got to be placed under the, the lordship and the control of Christ. Sex is beautiful for procreation and pleasure. But it's got, it's got to be uh, viewed as a gift from God that brings glory and honor to God. Yeah. And God, God wants to free you no matter where you're at today. If you're struggling in this area, I've already thrown the cards on the table. I wanted to be transparent with you to let you know that as I've worked through this, as I've talked with Nick, as I've talked with Steve, as I've talked with Trevor, as I've talked with Chad, as I've talked with Patrick, as I've talked with our staff and elders, can I tell you, the imaginary lover 
was a battle that all of us have battled with. You know it. And so my question would be, do you really want to experience the freedom of Christ? Do you really want to be set free? We want to help you. And we want to see you find deliverance in Jesus' name. Hope is available. Satan's going to say, you're so jacked up, you're beyond repair. That's a lie from hell. I know the one that can restore you and set you free and mend your life and bring healing. I pray that today's word encouraged you. And thanks for joining us uh, on this uh, broadcast today. If we can help you in your walk with Christ in any way, feel free to contact us here at the Cross Loganville. Our email, info at thecrossloganville.org, or you can call us 770-554-3322. God bless you, and I pray that you have just an incredible day.